Welcome to Prima's 2022 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Lisa Stam will discuss minimizing pharmacy plan cost. Lisa is the Vice President of Consulting Services at Cheryl Morgan. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Lisa. Well, thank you for having me, Taekwon. Very welcome. So what is the role of a pharmacy benefit manager and how have they traditionally been compensated for their services? Well, I wanted to start by saying the pharmacy arena is really one of the most complex areas for employers who sponsor health plans to navigate. And it's also one of their biggest expenses. Typically, as much as 30% of their overall plan costs are represented by prescription drug costs. And that's becoming a higher percentage all the time because of the all the new specialty drugs that are out there. They're fantastic drugs, but some of them cost tens of thousands of dollars a month. So this is a really big concern for every employer who sponsors a health plan. And it's not only a big part of their overall expense, but it's really difficult to follow the money trail in the pharmacy arena. It's very hard for an employer to really know how much they're paying for pharmacy benefit management. And in fact, what we found is that sometimes employers don't think they're paying anything for that service because the cost of it is so hidden within their plan costs. And so really the role of a pharmacy benefit manager is simply to administer the pharmacy benefits within a health plan. When a member goes to the pharmacy to get a prescription filled, the PBM, the pharmacy benefit manager, is the entity that is behind the scene facilitating that transaction. That's their primary role. They also have a couple of additional roles that they play. One is to maintain the formulary that the plan uses, and the formulary is really a list of covered drugs, and generally they're broken into different tiers, and there are different copays assigned to different tiers in order to direct members to use certain medications. And then the, the final critical function that they perform is to negotiate prices with the pharmacies within their network. So those are their basic functions. And for performing those services in a traditional pharmacy program, the PBM has been compensated in a number of ways. First and foremost, through what we call spread pricing or margin pricing. And this is when the pharmacy benefit manager is adding some additional cost to every prescription that they process. So that to the employer who's sponsoring the health plan, it appears that that's a part of the cost of the medication. But truly, it is the it is the compensation to the pharmacy benefit manager. That's their revenue. And because it's built into the price of the drug, it's really hard to quantify what you're paying your PBM when you're paying them using that traditional model. A second way that PBMs have traditionally been compensated is by retaining all of the rebates that plans get when their members use certain prescription drugs. So the manufacturers of prescription drugs, in many cases, will provide a rebate, the money back to the purchaser of the drug every time somebody uses one of their medications. And in the traditional pharmacy model, the PBM retains all of that. It never hits the employer plan. So that's a second very significant revenue stream for PBMs. 
a third way that they've been compensated, but not to the same extent that they have been through spread or rebate retention, is by retaining whatever part of the copay was higher than the actual cost of the drug. So there are a lot of really inexpensive generic drugs out there. And one very um, well-known pharmacy used to have their uh, list of $4 generics that uh, members could get at no cost if they if they got them from that pharmacy. It was kind of a loss leader for that pharmacy to get people into their store to buy other things. And so with a traditional pharmacy platform, if the copay for the generic medication was, let's say, $10, and the actual cost of the drug was $4, then the PBM might retain that $6 differential. And then the final way that pharmacy benefit managers have traditionally been compensated is through being part of the mail order process. A lot of times employers don't realize that their mail order pharmacy is actually owned by their pharmacy benefit manager. And so every time somebody uses mail order, the PBM is obtaining revenue from that transaction. So those are the traditional ways that PBMs have been compensated. What are some of the problems with the traditional compensation model? Is there perhaps a better model? Yeah, so I alluded to this in my previous answer, but the problem with pharmacy benefit managers being compensated by adding money onto the cost of the drug is that, first of all, they're not disclosing that. It just looks as if that's the cost of the medication when the employer plan is paying for that medication every month. And if you can't see what you're compensating your pharmacy benefit manager, you also can't control that. So, you know, it doesn't do any good for an employer to have great discounts at the pharmacy when people are going and purchasing medications there. And that the pharmacy benefit manager is guaranteeing that they're going to get a certain discount is all well and good. But if there's an additional amount of revenue being added on to the cost of the drug and you can't see or control that cost that you're paying for your pharmacy benefit management, then that's a big problem. And then another thing that a lot of employers don't realize is that not only does the PBM retain margin, in some cases there are other hands in the cookie jar, if you will. The Health plan administrator, in many cases, is sharing some of that margin that is being added to the cost of the medications. Just to give you an example, we have a client who has about 400 employees, and they decided that they were going to stop compensating their pharmacy benefit manager through the traditional model. They were going to carve out their pharmacy benefit management from their health plan administrator's universe and use an independent PBM that does business on a pass-through model, which I'll, I'll talk about in just a moment. And when they told their health plan administrator that they were going to do that, the health plan administrator, a very well-known big insurance company, a household name, everybody would know, increased their administrative fees for administering their health plan by 57%. So that's how much money the health plan administrator was making on this undisclosed revenue that was being retained by the PBM in the form of margin pricing. And even though their administrative fees went up 57%, they still saved money by carving that pharmacy benefit management out of their healthcare 
health insurance administrators universe. Okay, so is there a better way? There absolutely is a better way. And that way is through what we call pass-through administration. So you remove all of the margin off of the cost of the drugs. And in exchange for the PBM not being compensated through margin or spread pricing, they get an administrative fee, which is fixed and disclosed. So you can, you can see it and you can control it. And usually that's a, a fee per prescription or a per employee per month fee, something like that. And the other thing that we insist on is that in a pass-through arrangement, the employer, the health plan, is going to get 100% pass-through of all the manufacturer rebates. So no retention of rebates by the PBM, no margin on the cost of the drugs. All they get is an administrative fee. How focused should an employer be on pharmacy rebates? Are more always better? Well, that is a very good question. So if it's good and desirable that employers should get rebates, shouldn't they get as many rebates as possible? Well, no. The goal really should not be to maximize rebates, but to get the lowest net cost for your prescription drugs. And your PBM, if they're doing a a good job, should be structuring the formulary to achieve that lowest net cost. So what you want to do with your formulary structure is to steer members to whatever therapeutically equivalent drug costs the least after you take any rebates into account. So I'm going to give you an example involving coupons. So think of rebates like a coupon that you would take to the store to buy your groceries. So let's say you have a coupon for a brand name of bread and that loaf of bread costs $2 and you've got a coupon for 50 cents. And so your net cost for that loaf of bread after you use your coupon is $1.50. Now, what if the store you're shopping at has a store brand of the same kind of bread? So it's, you know, essentially going to taste the same. You know, there's not going to be any noticeable difference in the two loaves of bread. And that store brand bread costs a dollar, but there's no coupon. So your lowest net cost then is a dollar compared to a dollar fifty with the name brand using the coupon. So it's very similar with rebates. It doesn't do you any good if you've got a big rebate on a drug if the net cost of that drug after you take the rebate into account is still higher than the cost of another drug that does the same thing and doesn't have a rebate associated with it. So lowest net cost is really what the goal should be. So uh, employers, they like to get those big rebate checks, and it's a kind of a marketing tool that some PBMs use. You know, sometimes they'll they'll guarantee that you're going to get a certain amount of rebates, but really I'd be leery of those kinds of promises because what you really want is not maximum rebates but lowest net cost. What about mail order? Conventional wisdom says employers should encourage it because it saves money. Is that really true? Well, that's an interesting question. And employers have always said, well, you know, we should be pushing people to do mail order, right? It saves money. Well, it can save money. Usually it saves money for the member who's using the medication because most of the time mail order copays are structured so that the member gets let's say, three months of the drug for two copays instead of three months of the drug for three copays. But there are some problems with mail order. 
One is that if you're giving up a copay like that, then if you're not getting enough additional discount through your mail order vendor, because it's a mail order prescription versus a retail prescription, then you may end up losing money by steering people toward mail order. And there's another issue with mail order, and that is waste. So a lot of times, members will get three months of a drug, and then after a month and a half, that individual's doctor decides that they need to be on a different medication. So you've got a month and a half of wasted medication. So as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Many times, mail order vendors are owned by the pharmacy benefit manager. So if the pharmacy benefit manager is encouraging you to encourage mail order usage by your membership, then I would consider that to be a significant conflict of interest on the part of your pharmacy benefit manager. And so what what we usually advise is that with mail order, if you want to let people get a 90-day supply of their medication, if they're on a maintenance medication and you want them you want to remove barriers to them staying on their maintenance meds, then let them have 90-day supplies at retail and just let them pay three copays for it. They can get three months at a time. They don't have to fool with coming back to the pharmacy every month. They can come every 90 days, but then you're you're not going to sacrifice that copay and end up losing money. And if if some of the medication goes to waste, then at least you haven't uh, you haven't given up all that cost sharing. In the equation, and then it gets the conflict of interest out of the equation too. With regard to copay structure, what's the best strategy when it comes to brand drugs? Well, this is a, a really fascinating area of um, prescription drug management, and for almost every brand drug out there today, there is a manufacturer copay card that can be obtained very easily. Usually, you go to the manufacturer's website and you can click on a link that takes you to their copay assistance card and you can print it out and take it to the pharmacy. And that copay card will reduce your copay to some very nominal level. So you've probably heard commercials for for drugs on television. And at the end of the commercial, they'll say, "Um, if you can't afford your medication, you know, so-and-so drug manufacturer name can help. And so that's what they're they're talking about there. It's the copay cards. So, for example, there might be a drug that costs $1,000, and the manufacturer of that drug wants to keep people on their medication and they and not have them move to one of their competitors' drugs. And so they're going to try to make it really easy for that member to stay on their drug. So if the the health plan that that member's on charges a copay of, let's say, a percentage of the cost of the drug, so 25%. Then the copay for that medication will be 25% of $1,000 or $250. Well, in my example, let's assume that the manufacturer has a copay card that is readily available. All you, all you have to demonstrate is that you have commercial insurance. And if you do, the manufacturer is going to give you a copay card that takes your copay down to $5. So they've essentially paid for, subsidized $245 of the cost of that medication. Now, what if instead of having a percentage copay, that particular health plan had a flat dollar copay for brand drugs of, let's say, 
$50. Well, then the plan is giving up the money that the manufacturer is offering to subsidize. So they're keeping their members' copay really low at $25, or I'm sorry, at $50. But if they had raised the copay to 25% of the cost of the drug, and the copay on paper to that member looks like $250, and the manufacturer is willing to let them have that for $5, then essentially you have sacrificed what the manufacturer was willing to do for your member and, and, and for your health plan. So having flat dollar copays for brand drugs is pretty inadvisable today. It's really hard to find a brand drug that doesn't have a copay card associated with it. There are a few out there, but they're, they're few and far between, and they're really easy to access. So we always discourage having flat dollar copays for brand drugs. So what you want to do is take advantage of what the manufacturers are willing to do, and that is they're willing to write off most of a member's copay in many instances to keep that member on their drug. And when you do that, when you have a, a percentage copay, then you also have to be aware of the problem that the Affordable Care Act has created for plans in the form of the out-of-pocket maximum. So in 2022, the federal government says that the, the most that you can impose as a health plan in the form of cost sharing on your members is $8,700 for a single enrollee and $17,400 for other types of enrollees. So family, employee, spouse, boy, child, what have you. And if you have a percentage copay for a really expensive drug, so I mentioned earlier that some specialty drugs cost tens of thousands of dollars a month then you could have members hitting those out-of-pocket maximums pretty quickly. And so then after they hit their out-of-pocket maximum, the health plan has to pay 100% of their costs for the rest of the year. So one thing that you can do in association with having a percentage copay is to have a program that only gives the member credit for what they actually paid out of their pocket. So in my example before, with the coupon that took the copay down to $5, the member would only get credit for paying $5. So that $5 goes toward their out-of-pocket maximum. The $250 that it appeared they were paying because they were paying 25% of a $1,000 drug does not get credited toward their out-of-pocket maximum. So what that, what that does is it, it keeps you in the business of getting that manufacturer write-off for as long as possible. So those are just some of the things that you need to be thinking about in this, you know, era of manufacturers literally giving their drugs away to members to keep them on their drugs and not losing market share to their competitors. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.